I got a, a younger brother. Uh, his name's Jason. Some of you guys know Jason. Um, and uh, the thing is, if, if you like me, you probably like my brother. We're a lot alike. Uh, if you don't like me, you probably would still like my brother. He's a good guy. Uh, man, uh, he's just a couple years younger than me. So we grew up with a lot of the same memories, a lot of the same, uh, really, we got a lot of the same talents, a lot of the same interests. We're both Dallas Cowboys fans. I don't want to talk about it. Um, and like all that, right? And so, but, but, but it's funny because this thing happens a lot uh, when, when we hang out. One of our favorite things to do is, is to talk and remember things that happened when we were kids. And we'll just tell stories. Like, Man, remember that time, so-and-so, and so But something happens every single time we hang out. We'll be talking, talking, talking. We'll be sharing, sharing stories, laughing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I'll get to a moment and be like, oh, man. And then, do you remember this? And I'll tell a moment, and my brother will be like, I don't remember that. I don't remember that. I'm like, what are you doing? So I give him details. You remember we were in this place with so-and-so doing this and that, and it was awesome. It was great. And he's like, no, I didn't remember. And like this thing, it ends up being like really important to me. And I have these vivid memories. My brother's like, sorry, I don't care. I, I don't think I was there. I don't think it really happened. It always happened. And I'm curious, if you've ever been hanging out with somebody, and you have a, a total memory, and they just don't. You're like, you were there. It was me and you. We were, how do you not remember this? It happens so often. Often, The thing is, our memory is a funny thing. And I'm not going to get into all that because I don't understand it. I don't have a great memory. And, but you get into these moments where, why don't I remember that? Just think of how many meals you've had. Could you name all the things you ate all week for lunch? Most of us couldn't because we've had a lot of lunches in our lives. And eventually it just kind of blurs into like, nom, 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 nom. I don't know. I ate and it was good, I guess, because I'm still here. Um, memory is a tricky thing. You probably had times uh, where you've had a little amnesia, right? Something came up and you're like, ah, I don't. Maybe, maybe your family's telling a story about this time and everyone was there and everybody remembers it. You're just like, I just... I can't put my finger on it. Have you ever had that moment when you've been looking all over the place for something? I cannot find my wallet. It's, I cannot find it. And you're looking everywhere. I'm asking the kids, who took my stuff? Did I put everybody's hide my stuff? And then you find it. And you're like, oh, yeah, I remember I put it here so I wouldn't forget it. Remember? And then you're like, obviously, that didn't work. <laughs> Memory is a tricky thing. We remember weird stuff. Uh, we remember the things that don't matter. Like you might remember like the combination to your sec- seventh grade locker. You know, it was like, I remember it's 14, 16, 8. That was it. That was my- but you can't remember your anniversary or your kids' birthdays, and you're like, I probably should work on that. Memory is a weird and tricky thing. And so today, what I want to talk about is remembering. Remembering. I think God knows that we have a hard time remembering. He's given us many ways to remember different things that he wants us to remember. And so we're in this Dissecting Sunday series, and over the last several weeks, we've really been dissecting, pulling apart the pieces of really the Sunday morning service and asking a simple question. Why do we do that? So we've talked about things like preaching. Why is there preaching? Aaron last week did a great job sharing about uh, singing. Like, why do we sing songs? We just did that for like 30 minutes. Like, but why? I mean, we got radios in our cars. Can't we just listen if we want to? Why? Today we're talking about something that revolves completely around remembering. And as we dissect Sunday, I want to look at a part of the service that many would say is the central element of why we even gather in the first place as a church family. It's not the preaching. It's not the singing. It's communion. Communion. At our church, we have these stations. I talk about them every week. There's two at the front, two in the back. There's crackers and juice on it. Right now, I have this kind of, uh, this mock station here to represent some things that we're looking at. And as I look at communion and I see, you know, we do this every single week, I wonder how many of us have this question. Why do we do that, though? Like, I get it. Like, there's this thing. There's this, there's this little moment at the end of our teaching service, and we celebrate something. But why is it so important? And why do we even do it every week? That's weird. So as we ask this question, why communion, I want to do what we do every week. And I want to look to the Bible 
for the answers to our questions. This topic is talked about in several different places, but we're going to be looking at a particular passage. If you've got a Bible, you can turn there in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and we'll be starting in verse 23. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you today, we'll have it on the screen behind me, or also we've got Bibles on the floor that you're welcome to use today and even take home with you if you don't have a good readable Bible. Everybody needs to have a good readable Bible. Um, but we'll be in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. This is written by the Apostle Paul, and he's written to a group of Christians at Corinth, and basically he's kind of giving a recap on uh, what is often called the Last Supper. This is Jesus' last meal that he shares with his followers, his disciples, right before he's taken off to be crucified, uh, before he's arrested, and before he's betrayed by Judas, and all of that. It's, it's uh, that moment that he's just kind of giving us in a nutshell in just a few verses. And I want to read that with us this morning. 1 Corinthians 11, starting at verse 23. Paul says this, For I received from the Lord what I also pass on to you. This is, he's going to tell the story. On the night the Lord Jesus was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup. This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That's kind of a snapshot. From this scene, we find the first communion meal. Jesus is sitting in this room with his followers, and he essentially institutes this meal with some bread and some juice. And what we want to do today is unpack this question. Why? Why? Why communion? As a kid, I remember we did communion, and, and, and I saw it kind of like a snack time in the middle of church. It's like, okay, it makes sense. Like, you're saying some songs. Like, the preacher's about to get up and do a lot of stuff. We did our communion before the sermon. And so it's like, you know, right in the middle, snack time, that's great. And then they pass the tray, and I feel like a big bait and switch. I'm like, what? This little cracker is like a chiclet in a shot glass. What's going on? Like, this isn't, this isn't going to fill up anybody. It's not fooling anybody. Uh, and so I didn't really understand. As I grew up, uh, my parents began to explain it to me. Maybe you grew up in church where they did communion, and maybe they did it a little differently. Uh, we have the stations around the room. People get up and go do it. Maybe you were in a situation where they passed a tray, right? I think a lot of us grew maybe a situation like that. That's where, where, uh, where I came from. Maybe you would grew up in a situation where a pastor or a priest or someone in charge would kind of stand at the front and you would make your way down an aisle and you would come in and receive it from them. Maybe you took a chunk of bread and you dipped it in the juice before you, uh, before you uh, ate it. Or, or maybe, maybe it was a rule that unless you were a member of that church, you couldn't have communion at that church. I mentioned all those things because those are all various communion traditions and different denominations and groups do them different ways. But the question is why? Why even do it in the first place? Where all these variations come from and, and why do it in the first place? What I hope to do is look at this little story that Paul just told us about the Last Supper and look at what communion is and why we do it here at Venture Church every single week and unpack the question, why communion? And so we've already looked at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Um, I do want to mention that you can see a fuller account of that whole story of Jesus' Last Supper in Matthew chapter 26. So you can check it out, Matthew 26, 17 through 30. Uh, I know that a lot of times uh, some of you take notes and you're like, what's something I could read during the week to kind of um, add to what I've been talking about on Sunday morning? So this would be a great place to read. Um, Jesus is having this meal with his followers and we've got more details. I recommend that you take that take that in consideration, but today we're going to focus just on the little passage in 1 Corinthians, because it's going to give us enough to go off of. And first, I want to talk about what brought the disciples together in the first place. This night wasn't just any meal. These guys shared meals all the time. In fact, they traveled together for three years. They probably had almost every single meal together, and they probably prayed at most of them, if not all of them. And so this wasn't just any old meal. This meal was actually a special meal. Uh, they were celebrating a holiday. In the Jewish custom, there was a holiday called Passover. 
Passover, which commemorated a major Jewish uh, historical event when the Jews, they had been slaves in Egypt for over 400 years. And these slaves had been released into freedom. And there's this whole story about Moses coming in and this, this miraculous emancipation of the Jews from their slavery. Passover was the celebration of that. In a way, it's very much the Jewish Independence Day. And it was, they made a big deal about it. They celebrated for days. And this particular meal was kind of the culmination of that whole big hurrah. And they come together for this meal. Uh, you can read more about the, the actual original Passover in the Old Testament, in Exodus chapter 12. Uh, I want, you can make a note of that too. But I want to kind of give you a summary of what went down there. Because this was a very big deal to the Jewish people and still is today. Basically, God is about to free the Jews from their slavery. And as a last move of power, God has told Moses, and Moses has told the people that he's going to send this judgment angel down to Egypt. It's called the angel of death. And the angel of death is going to come, and he's going to basically pass judgment on the Egyptians and, and for their stubbornness and, and their sin. And Moses tells them, all right, God has a plan for you. If you're faithful to him, this is what you need to do. And among many things, there were some ceremonies they had to go through, but one of them was to uh, take a young lamb and kill it, which might seem crazy or weird, but this is, you know, they got meat all the time. We have uh, the butcher section in our grocery store. They ate their meat like this all the time. And take the blood from that lamb, paint it on the doorframe of your house. Then, when this judgment angel comes down to Egypt, any home that is covered by the blood of that lamb will be passed over by the angel. Hence, they call it the Passover. It is the passing over of this angel. One of the things that they did in this was to have a special meal. And this meal was something that for generations after, uh, the, the Jewish people celebrated in commemoration of this night when God delivered them. And eventually they would go off into freedom. Um, part of the Passover celebration was this meal. And each element of the meal had a symbolic place. If you've ever sat through a Passover meal, they're, they're pretty neat. They're really cool. I've sat through several. And each little piece of thing that you eat reminds you of, for example, the bitterness of the things they have gone through, the sweetness of God, and the different things that were on the table. And the point that I want to point, the, the piece of the, the food that I want to point at today are the bread and the cup. The bread and the cup. In the story we just read, Jesus is having this meal with his followers. They no doubt had been following the traditional guidelines, script for the meal because it was a traditional thing, and they still do it to this day. And Jesus chose this time, this meal, this season of celebration of independence to institute a new meal of remembrance that we today call communion. You know, it's so simple. I want to take a look at the, the hardware, okay? It's so simple that it teaches a huge lesson just in the two elements, bread and juice, Let's first talk about the bread. This bread, uh, Jesus picks it up. He says he gave thanks. He prayed for it. And he broke it. He said, this is my body. It's broken for you. And I imagine him taking the two pieces and passing it to the down table, and each person would take off a chunk and eat a piece. Let's talk about that. Traditionally, this meal that Jesus was having, uh, the bread was supposed to be an unleavened bread. Uh, we might not call it that very often anymore. It basically means bread made without yeast. You know, if you ever had a yeast roll or a good pizza that's got a lot of yeast in it, the bread kind of rises. Uh, this is why, because the Jews who were part of that original Passover meal, they were essentially preparing to be slaves on the run. Okay? So as Moses gives these instructions about this meal, it says, uh, you know, you need to prepare your meal that night. We're going to be hitting the road. Don't take the time to make your bread with yeast. 
You bakers in the house, it takes time. You got to let that stuff rise, and there's a process to it. Instead, make your bread unleavened without yeast, so that when the time comes, you'll be able to run. So God's command was that they prepare the unleavened bread for this special meal. Hence, the Passover meal for generations to come would never have yeast in the bread. Actually, a big part of the thing was they would go through kind of ceremonial and they'd sweep their whole house clean, making sure there was no yeast left in the entire house. Uh, yeast is an actual fungus and it can get into the bread. And so you actually have to make sure that there's not this stuff in your house. And they would go to this, uh, this effort to clean out the house, basically to show, hey, we are commemorating, we are remembering this Passover when God delivered the Jews. Now, also... There's another layer to this yeast thing. If you look through the Old Testament, there's a couple different places where yeast becomes symbolic for sin. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees at one time. He compares their attitude. The Pharisees were kind of, uh, they were kind of uh, rivals to Jesus, and a lot of times they went head to head. And So Jesus goes to these Pharisees and basically calls their attitude, their whole lifestyle, he compares it to leaven or yeast. And this is why the reason that yeast was often compared to sin is because when, when, when yeast gets into a dough, my wife makes bread all the time. She's a great baker. She makes homemade pizza dough, and we love it, and she makes cinnamon rolls. And I always, I love this moment where she makes this little bitty piece of dough, and she puts it in this bowl, and she covers it with a towel. And then we'll come back, like I don't know how long later, like an hour later, and this dough is like double, tripled in size. You've seen this? It just like puffs up. Yeast gets inside the dough, and it begins to kind of fill itself. It begins to eat. It begins to feed, and it grows, and it grows, and it multiplies, and it multiplies, and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger, and it will take over the whole ball of dough. And this is very similar to what sin does in our life. When we come in proximity to sin, to evil, to bad, it might just be a little bit, but it starts to latch on. And it starts to dig in, and it starts to grow, and it grows, and it grows. And so Jesus takes his bread, and he prays over it, and he says, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me, and don't miss this. It hit me really hard this week. Leaven came to represent sin to the Jews. And here Jesus is saying, this bread, this bread is made without yeast, no leaven. This is my body. The reason Jesus' sacrifice was of any good to anyone is that Jesus lived a life without sin. He's like, this, this bread with no sin, this is what's being broken for you. Share it. Share it together. And don't forget what I've done for you. In 2 Corinthians 5, chapter 21, Paul, the same guy who wrote there in 1 Corinthians, he said, God made him who had no sin to become sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Listen to that. God made him who had no sin. That's Jesus. God comes in the flesh, and that's what we call Jesus. He lived a pure life. Yet he goes to a cross and takes the punishment for all sin. How crazy is that? He made him who had no sin to become sin. This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. That's the bread. Now the juice, the cup. Uh, now I must say this, it's pretty much guaranteed uh, that Jesus used wine at his meal. It was the most commonly available beverage of the time. Uh, there, there was no stigma around wine and alcohol the way there is today, particularly in the American church. And so there was no reason to believe that they didn't have wine. We could debate that, and, but I'm not going to, so don't. Um, but, you know, it's, it's just, we, we don't use wine here, though, for a couple of practical reasons. One, we found ways to preserve the fruit of the vine, as Jesus calls it, without fermentation. Uh, so that works out good. And uh, we are a community 
that unfortunately but gladly there are people in this room who have, sucked, uh, have dealt with alcoholism and alcohol abuse and, and why not remove that temptation from them while coming to church of all places. Also, we find in the Bible, uh, for example, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, later on in the passage we read, uh, that Paul actually fusses at a church in Corinth for getting together, and they were actually getting drunk at communion. He was like, hey, when it's communion time, you probably need to wait for everybody else to show up uh, before you drink all the juice, okay? And so that was a problem. So that's, that's one thing. The other thing is that we have people here who take communion that are under the age of 21. So there's that. So there's no legalistic reason to get caught up on that, but I just want to explain that. If you had a confusion about it or a question, we get to the cup, and what's more about, it's more about not what we drink, but why we drink it. There, there have been times in history when wine or, or grape juice wasn't even available. I, I was in a village in Africa once that used uh, grape-colored uh, Fanta as the grape juice, and, uh, you know, that, that's a true story. Um, Jesus, though, he doesn't talk about necessarily so much what it is. He calls it the fruit of the vine, but I love how he poetically calls it the cup the cup. It's kind of the end of the meal. And they were all drinking. There's always a beverage at a meal, right? And he picks up this cup. And a little later that same night, he just, he says, take this cup. And this cup had to do um, with this whole calling he had on his life to give himself up. A little later that same night before Jesus was arrested, he was praying to the Father about the weight of the crucifixion. And it was on him. And he, and he, and he said this. You might remember, he said, Father, if you're willing, please take this cup from me. Right? So if you know that passage, I just wonder if Jesus was at the same time remembering just a few hours earlier when he had taken the cup and gone, hey, this is the cup of a new covenant, and it's for you, and let's drink this. And then they're sitting there going, oh, man, this is way harder than I expected. And at the meal, Jesus says, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Communion is the remembrance of a covenant. A covenant is a promise. It's like a deal, a pact between God and us. He said, this is what I'm going to honor. This is what I'm going to do. It was a promise, and it was sealed by the blood of God in the flesh, Jesus. It's a huge commitment from God. So think about this. What was done through Jesus, okay, what was done through Jesus that night in the crucifixion was very similar to what happened with the Jews on the night of the Passover, you remember, they had to get a lamb. They had to take the blood of the lamb. They had to paint it across the doorways. In any house that had the blood of the lamb across the doorways, the Passover would happen. The angel would, would pass over their house. And in the same way, it is the blood of Jesus, who is also called the Lamb of God, that takes away the sins of the world. Another lamb is the blood of Jesus that allows the punishment for sin to pass over anyone who has faith in him. The greatest currency that anyone could ever give, the greatest payment is their life. And when we talk about military people and law enforcement officers and others who have paid what we call the ultimate price, they gave their life. Jesus says, I'm going to give this for you, my life. I'm going to pay the debt of your sin with my blood, my body that's sinless, my life that was pure. I laid on the line for you. This cup is a new covenant, a new promise in my blood. And the promise being lit, I will pass over. I will pass over judging, judging you if you will put your faith in me. Listen to how the Apostle Paul explains it to the church in Rome. Uh, in Romans chapter 5, verse 6 through 8, Paul says this. He says, you see, at just the right time, while we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, 
Christ died for us. He said, I love you. I love you, and I recognize that, that you have messed up. I recognize that you have totally dropped the ball. I recognize that you've got sin in your life. But here's the deal. I love you enough to give you a way out. He says, rarely people even die for good people. Around the world, people die, and it's rare that someone steps in front of a bullet. But if they're a really good person, you might jump in to save them. But for someone who has crossed you, someone who is living in a lifestyle that is opposed to you, which is mankind in opposition to God, it doesn't make sense. But Jesus says, I lay down my life for you. It's one thing to give up your life for something. It's a whole next level of power when you're able to not only give up your life for something, but also, check this out, this is Jesus' story, die and then raise from the dead. Many of us have been to funerals, right? And you stand by the graveside and you lay down flowers and you mourn. And we all understand, like, they're not coming back. And we celebrate their life. But the power of Jesus and the beauty of communion is that this celebration is a celebration of remembrance, not of a funeral, not of a death, but of a resurrection. And a resurrection that we get to play a part in. Look ahead at Romans chapter 6 if you were already in Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 6 and verse 4 says this. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too might live a new life. Check this out. How do we come into contact with this blood of Jesus? How do we come into contact with this promise and this new covenant? He says, listen, when you choose me, when you turn your heart to me, when you decide, I want to live for you, when you're obedient to me and say, I want to be baptized into your name, and when you go under that water, there's this, there's this picture. And this is what Paul draws the picture in Romans chapter 6. He says, you are therefore buried with him in baptism. You ever seen a baptism? A body goes down into a watery grave, it's been called. And it's like me, and when I was baptized, it's like I said, this is me, this is Chris, and I had sin in my life, but I'm going to give up my old life, and I'm going to go in the ground with it. But just like Jesus, we don't have to stay dead. In fact, we don't even physically die. Just as we are buried with him in baptism, we are raised to walk in newness of life. Communion is a time of celebrating life. If you've ever been at somebody's house when they just had a baby, I've been able to be one of the first people to see them at the hospital. You ever get that text or that phone call from your brother, your sister, or your good friend? It's like, they're here, right? Tell you how much they weigh, boy, girl, their full name. You're so proud, smiling ear to ear. You're so excited. Why? Because that's the celebration of new life, and that is what God gives us through Jesus. The chance to take all the mess of our past and put it behind us. And say, so you're not shaped and judged by the sin in your past, but only by your relationship with Jesus and your walk with him through the future. And it's a daily renewal. And it's a chance to go to God and say, thank you, thank you, thank you. This cup is a new covenant. In my blood, I paid the ultimate price. Sinless, pure, blameless body. And I willingly pour it out for you, 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 all of us, for me and all of mankind. And anyone who's willing to put their trust in Jesus to get that. And the Passover begins. So why the grape juice? Because we're to remember the promise that God brings life. Isn't it blood that pumps through our veins that keeps us going? And we get an infusion of that. Through Jesus. And our spirit lives. You know, in a minute we're going to share a meal. We've got stations at the front, stations at the back. 
and there will be bread, and there will be juice. And they serve as a tangible reminder of this new covenant and the body that was broken. I want to speak for just a second to you if you're in the room and, um, you know, communion or even Christianity seems a little bit, little bit off of your radar right now. You might be here for the first time. You might have only been coming for a few weeks. Maybe you're not sure you want to jump into this thing quite so seriously yet, but you still want to stick around. I want to tell you this. We intentionally at our church, we say, if you want to during communion time, feel free. Stay right in your seat. I don't know what's going on in your life. <laughs> it might just be that you had a really bad time. You just need to sit and collect your thoughts. That's fine. Or you just got questions about God. And when we go to this time in just a minute, I want you to know that the best thing you can do is just maybe stay where you are and take a second to try to pray. God, did you really do that for me? What does that mean? And I would encourage you, like, if you want to learn more, just come back one more week. We're going to keep going through this series. We're going to keep dissecting Sunday, and we're going to be here every Sunday uh, until the Lord comes back, hopefully. And keep doing this. But in a minute, we are going to share that meal. And if you do decide to go there, I, I want to kind of put some thoughts in, into your mind because I know that often I'll go to these, these, uh, this moment in communion and I'll sit there and be like, okay, grape juice, cracker. And then like nothing comes to mind. Am I supposed to pray right now? Like is there a song I should sing? Like should I read the Bible? And, and sometimes my mind's not around in the game. And so maybe you're there. I mean, life happens, right? I want to give us a couple things we can actually remember. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Well, what are we remembering? Well, here's a few things that you can remember if you're, if you're just kind of struggling to look for something. Here's the first one that really jumps out to me. First, remember that you are valuable. You are valuable. You know, the value of an item is determined by the price that a person is willing to pay for it. It's not like a really tangible, like gold isn't really valuable. It's just at some point we decided to go, yeah, 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 that's worth a lot. That's, like, that's worth like nine cows, like for real. We would pay nine cows or a block of gold. That's, that, that's what that's worth, right? It's value is determined by how much you're willing to pay for something. This has been proven by eBay over and over again. How much are you worth? God said, you're valuable to me. I will give my own blood for you. I will leave the splendors of heaven, we read about it in Philippians chapter 2, and he said, I will not consider this, this godliness something to remain holding on to, but instead I will, I will release my privileges as God, and I will come down in the form of a human, a human likeness, and I'll be obedient to death, even death on the cross, and I'll do that for you. Man, that's valuable. That is valuable. You get, you're, you're valuable, and you might not feel that way right now. You might feel like trash. You might feel worthless. People might have told you that so much that you believe it. Not to God. You're worth the ultimate price. You're valuable. And maybe in that moment you can just sit there and be in awe as you take a cracker and drink a juice and go, am I really that valuable to you, God? Thank you. And a simple prayer, God, help, help me to make you valuable in my life too. Help me to love you back. You can remember that you're valuable. Here's the second thing you can remember. Remember forgiveness. Remember forgiveness. You know, Jesus' mission was about providing mankind a path back to God. Sin separates us from God. But the whole thing about Jesus and the crucifixion and the resurrection is that forgiveness is available. One of the most popular scriptures ever quoted is about God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And that if people believe in him, they won't perish. Their spirit won't die. But instead, they'll have eternal life. This is heaven, yes. This is eternal life now, yes. This is the presence of God in our life. You are forgiven. And that doesn't blow your mind. Maybe you should take a second to think about it a little bit longer. Because I've done things in my life that I don't think I need, deserve to be forgiven for. 
But God gives me that. And, and a side note here, uh, I've heard it said that uh, forgiven people should forgive. And there's some teaching about communion that if you've got like anger in your heart towards somebody and you've got somebody that I just can't forgive, it, we've been forgiven a huge debt. We can never pay back our debt for sin. And for us to sit before God and say, thank you for that, but I'm not willing to let go of this other thing that's happened in my life, that's a bit hypocritical, don't you think? And so communion is also a good time for us to just evaluate our heart. Say, man, is there something in my life that I need to make amends with? Do I need to move forward with, with them? Do I need to call them after church and be like, hey, you don't even know this, but I've been kind of holding this grudge, and I'm sorry for that. Or maybe they know that they're waiting for you to forgive them. A parent or a child or someone that you just had a big falling out with. You can honor God so much by just calling them and saying, listen, I'm, I'm going to let that go. Really? Why? What changed? Because I realized that God let it go for me. No one will let it go for you. Can we move forward? Can we love each other? Remember forgiveness. Remember you're valuable. Remember forgiveness. And last thing you can remember, among many other things, but maybe the biggest thing, remember that Jesus is returning. Jesus is returning. That's actually how Paul ended the little retelling of Jesus' dinner story. He says it in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 26. He says, you know, for whatever you drink, sorry, whenever you eat this bread or drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Did you know that by going to this table today, you're actually proclaiming, I believe Jesus is coming back. I believe it. And, and maybe that's hard for you to believe. Maybe you look at the world and you're like, man, I hope he comes soon. <laughs> Jesus is coming back. He didn't leave us here to drown and strangle and suffer. He left us here to grow and love and shine light and build his kingdom because he's coming back. And that is the joy of communion. You know, so many memorials are, are somber reminders of something that will never be again. A statue, uh, a plaque, a tombstone. But Jesus isn't dead. Not only will he be again, he is now. Jesus is alive. Anybody with me on that? He's alive and he's living in me and he's living in those of, who serve, those of us who serve him. And man, he is alive. He's working in this world. And all the darkness that you see around you can be penetrated by the light of Jesus that happens from his faithful followers taking it out there. Say, let me just love you. Let me just serve you. Let me tell you what God has done in my life. Jesus is returning. That's his promise. That's his covenant. His body broken to show it. His blood spilled to seal it. That's communion. Let's pray. God, you're good. You give us this meal, and uh, as we're dissecting Sunday, we, we need to ask why. Why? Um, I hope that we understand a little bit more why, or maybe we're even reminded why. That it's not just a meal. It's not just a snack time. It's not just an empty, uh, an empty moment ceremony just to appease some sort of tradition, but instead it's a, it's a living and active reminder, a tangible, touchable, tasteable reminder of what you did for us. Lord, thank you for the cross. Thank you for your body. Thank you for your blood. And thank you for our opportunity to live, even though I know I can speak for myself and say I probably don't deserve it. Thank you. You are good. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.